We're starting a brand new series of lessons, and I'm, Peyton and I have been very excited about this. It's, it's called Red Letter Living, and it's based on those of you who grew up and you had the red letter version of the Bible. These were the words of Jesus. That's kind of what we're basing it off of. And so he and I, we just went through the Gospels and different places, and, and we, just, we just took certain words, certain things that Jesus said, and we built this series of lessons for the next couple of weeks. And so you've, you heard this first one, it was just read here in Matthew chapter 9 in verses 9 through 13. And in this, Jesus is talking to, he comes to this table uh, of a tax collector and he says, follow me. Now when a rabbi would go to someone and say, follow me, that was a big honor. It meant that you had complete access, unlimited access to the teacher. You could ask those probing questions. You could watch as scripture and, uh, and, and how it was supposed to be lived out in a person's life. But it also was a call for a person to be committed and to submit to that teacher. The first step to following Jesus is believing that he is who he says he is. And we are called to see this Jesus from God's perspective and not from our own perspective or not from the perspective of others. And so we declare that Jesus is Lord. Now, if you're here and you have never answered that call, but you're like, you know what? That's something I want to do in my life. I want to be a follower of Jesus, then we really want to encourage you to be a part of our growth track. Now, Peyton mentioned it a moment ago, uh, and this will be right after worship. And we're going to, we have for our own members, there, we have certain number who are able to sign up. But if you are here and you're not a member of this church, and you want to learn more about following Jesus, about getting you on the right journey, getting you on the right track, then you are, you are open. We have an open table for you. And if you have any questions afterwards, I'll be in the back and be glad to, to help you with those as well. But when we talk about following Jesus, we're talking about something that's more than just believing that he is the Son of God. It also implies that we follow him and that we live the way Jesus wants us to live. Jesus' communities, like ours, they're dedicated to to trying to live out the way God wants us to live, to, to be the people that God wants us to be in all of our imperfections. And that's why we believe it's important that we become a part of a church family. And as you see, this is something that we talk about here. Here's that growth track, the, the first step, which we're beginning this morning. But this is the movement that we want to see with people in their life and in this journey that, that they're a part of. You know, many people they, or, or many folks out there, they view churches as unnecessary. It's not necessary for my spiritual life, but that's just not the example that we see with Jesus. That's not how we see that he lived his life. That's not what we see after he was raised from the dead and, and, and he ascended. And, and that's just not what we see. We see that this was meant to be in these communities, these Jesus communities, and we live this out. And, and to, to come to a point that we, we serve, 
we become servants of Christ and in within our churches and that's what the growth track step two is all about that second class uh, as well but we believe that it's so important we put that into our church covenant we have a covenant here it's it's all based on scripture but we want people who say I want to come and be a part of this church to say these are things that I will agree upon these are things that I'm going to strive for I may not be perfect in them now but you know what these are important and and one aspect of that is discovering those spiritual gifts that God has given us and using them to his glory so Jesus shows up at this tax collectors booth and he says follow me and it's interesting he just gets up and he went now I imagine this is not the first time that Matthew had ever met Jesus Jesus had been all through that region he had been teaching he had been doing miracles and, and healing people and the such like. And I believe he probably came to a point that he was ready. And so Jesus knows this. He comes to him and says, follow me. And he's ready. And some of you may be some, somewhere similar to that. You may be been picking up your Bible and you're trying to read it. Maybe uh, you've been listening to sermons about this Jesus. Maybe, you know, somebody's talked to you about it. Maybe you're just seeing that God's been working in your life somehow, some way, and you're ready. You're just ready to follow Jesus. And so we're going to look at this, this text, and we're going to look at a couple of things that I believe are very important for all of us, not just those who are, have not made that commitment yet, but those who have. And the first thing that we learn about following Jesus and what Jesus does in this story is that he breaks barriers. Now, if you're new to reading your Bible, it probably doesn't shock you at all that Jesus calls a tax collector. I mean, let's face it, tax collectors in our day and time are a little bit different. You know, we don't like taxes, but we don't, you know, we don't go to the, you know, down to the tax office and say, you're a sinner. You know, we, don't, we just don't do that. Uh, because that's not how we see government workers. Um, but in ancient Palestine, tax collectors, these were people who worked for the Roman Empire who had oppressed the Jews. And so they generally, they hired people who were native of that area to collect their taxes. And so they would collect the taxes, and then they would, they would take extra for themselves. And they generally exploited their own people that they knew were already having a hard time in life. And so they were looked at as traitors. They were despised. They were hated. But then the story just got worse, isn't it? What Joe read a second ago. Because, yeah, he gets up and he follows Jesus. And then what does he do? He throws a party. Matthew's going to throw a party and Jesus is going to be, come in and be the guest. And he's inviting all the people that he knew, all his friends. And what does it say there? It says there were, it was many, I love that, many tax collectors and sinners. Table fellowship is a big deal in that culture. It's a much bigger deal than it is in our day and time because it was one of those things that was important for social and religious boundaries. Tax collectors were considered ceremonially unclean because they were always associating with Gentiles, non-Jews. They, they didn't follow the Sabbath day. And so they were just looked down upon. And so it was very scandalous for Jesus to sit at a table with these people. The form of discipleship that Jesus is establishing is shocking. It is scandalous. 
our mission, as we also state in our church covenant as well, is inviting the lost. We should warmly welcome, no matter who walks into this building and wants to come and to worship with us. Now, it's easy to be very accepting of people who are like us, right? People who maybe were raised with the same kind of moral and ethnic, uh, ethnic, uh, ethic background that we were raised in. But what about people that weren't? What about people that may come in and they just look a little bit different? They, in fact, they put off this vibe of rebellion. You know what I mean? All kinds of tattoos and, and non-traditional hairdos and bald heads and beards. You know, that, you know what I'm talking about. Here's what Jesus would do. He would say, follow me. He would say, follow me. And, and we don't have, you know, any kind of religious... Uh, issues and ceremonial laws and so forth that says we can't eat with people. Um, but at the same time, we might not want to invite some of those folks to eat with us, or we may not want to eat with them, but I think Jesus absolutely would sit down and he would enjoy a feast with the greatest outcasts in our society. And that's the good news of Jesus. Because he spent a lot of time eating with sinners. It's interesting, you read the Gospels. Read the Gospel of Luke. It's like every time you turn around, Jesus is eating. I think that's why I like the Gospel of Luke so much. But he's always eating, right? Now, he, when he eats with them, he's not, he's not condoning their sins, but he's going to sit at table with them. He wasn't okay with their wrongs, but he loved them. And he taught them. And he encouraged them, and he's building relationships because that's what Jesus does. And so when Jesus says, follow me, he said it so that everybody could hear. And if you're that person that, you know, you may be here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, I do want to follow Jesus. I just don't know if Jesus wants me. You need to read this story. You need to, uh, to see this Jesus as he went about to the very people who are considered outcasts. You may say, I'm just a really bad person. Listen, Jesus, Jesus can use that. <laughs> Jesus, there's no one who's too bad to come to Jesus. You're exactly the kind of person that Jesus wants to help. Because you see, Jesus was about healing sinners. Now these Pharisees, we talk about them. Pharisees were this religious group uh, among among the Jews, and they are absolutely shocked by what they are seeing. Jesus is, is eating with, with these, they, if you notice in the text, they go to Jesus' disciples and, and basically say, you know, and this is my, my paraphrase, who does he think he is? <laughs> eating with these tax collectors and sinners. Jesus overhears. And so Jesus, he answers by giving him a metaphor. And he says, Dr. Dennis, a doctor, a doctor helps sick people. Sick people need a doctor, not healthy people. Jesus' greatest miracle, folks, we off, is often overlooked. And we think, what's the great, these great miracles of Jesus? We think, oh, walking on water, you know? Uh, healing somebody, you know, of leprosy or maybe we think raising the dead i mean it's pretty fantastic but jesus's greatest miracle was forgiveness 
It was forgiveness. He came to bring healing to a sin-sick world, and he extended his compassion to people that even the religious elite of the day, they completely despised and overlooked. And here's what we learn from this text as well. Sin is not cured by religion. It's not. Because sin is an inner spiritual sickness that is incurable by our attempts at religious righteousness. In fact, Jesus' proclamation by saying, you know, well, the, the sick need a doctor, not the healthy, he's also making a cut against these Pharisees. Because they believed that they were righteous before God because they followed the law. They, they, you know, they were all a part of the, the sacrifices and things of that sort. And so Jesus, he goes Old Testament on them. He quotes from Isaiah, the, I mean, from Hosea the prophet, who said, I, who was speaking on behalf of God and says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, anytime we see something that comes from comes from the Old Testament, we need to understand where it came from and why it was stated because that helps us understand why it's being used. And in this particular time, the nation of Israel had drifted far away from God. Now, they still followed their rituals and sacrifices and they did a lot of the outward form of religion. And every now and then they turned back to the Lord and they said the right things and they did the right things. But those things only lasted for a while and then they were right back doing those things again. In fact, Hosea even says in there, he says, your love is like a morning cloud. It's like dew that goes early away. In other words, you know, this, this faithfulness that you have to me is not for very long. Now, Jesus uses the word mercy in Matthew, or at least that's what my translation uses. If you'll notice in the book of Hosea, what he uses is steadfast love. That's hesed, which sometimes is translated as mercy. And what hesed is, steadfast love, it is an unfailing kind of love that I believe that is best described in what's called the Shema. You've probably heard it before. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. In other words, following Jesus is about giving to him, making God your number one priority. Now, the law and the sacrifices, those things certainly, they, they served as expressions of that love. But they were not love itself. Jesus uses Hosea against the Pharisees. Because without a loving relationship with God, all of these ceremonial laws, all following the law of Moses and all these sacrifices, and th it means absolutely nothing to God. And the Hosea principle is still relevant in our culture today. Because, let's face it, we have things that are sacred to us. Baptism, the Lord's Supper that we just partook of. These things are sacred but they are not a substitute for a relationship with God. We say, hey, look, what is this church? What do we aspire to be? We put in our theme. There's three things in our theme. We try to make it very simple, but number one is simply this, love God. We've got to love God. 
One of the most common criticisms about Christianity today is that, you know what, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And you know what, there's a lot of folks out there, they're just using it as an excuse, but there also is some merit in what they say at times. We can be just like the Pharisees at times if we're not careful, who didn't even realize it, which was really the problem. It was Barna who did a, a, a research and they did a study that revealed that 51% of North American Christians that were polled possess attitudes and actions that are more like the Pharisees than of Christ. And they found that only 14% had the actions and attitudes that would signify more of Christ than of the Pharisees. Now, just to give you a sample of how that poll was taken, um, attitudes and actions of Jesus, you know, you ask yourself, um, I listen to others to learn their story before telling them about my faith. I regularly choose to have meals with people with different faiths uh, or morals from me. I am personally spending time with non-believers to help them follow Jesus. I feel compassion for people who are not following God and doing immoral things. And then some, just again, this is just a sampling of attitudes and actions of Pharisees uh, in this poll, was I tell others the most important thing in my life is following God's rules. I like to point out those who do not have the right theology or doctrine. I prefer to serve people who attend my church rather than those outside the church. I believe we should stand against those uh, who are opposed to Christian values. And just based on those things, I don't know about you, but I would have to say I am way too much like a Pharisee than I am like Jesus at times. And I will tell you this, it is the Pharisee that is in us that is killing the mission of the church. It is killing the mission of Christ. Some Pharisees were very sincere in seeking God. I mean, look up Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. I believe the Pharisees overall had good intentions. They understood and tried to follow the law more than anybody else. Their problem was self-righteousness and, self, uh, and self-justification and self-importance. Jesus condemned their leaders for their pride and their lack of compassion and their hypocrisy. They loved to tell other people that they were wrong. In fact, a Pharisee is someone who spends more time telling people the things that they are against than the things that they are for. The irony is that the people who said that they loved God the most ultimately had him crucified on a cross when he showed up. We should strive to live by God's instruction. That's not what is being said here. In fact, we know that God's, what God has to say to us, including his law, it's, it's good, it's beneficial. But we don't read the Bible to simply prove our convictions. We read the scriptures to be shaped into the image of God. That's the difference. Following Jesus means that he becomes everything to us. And Jesus wants us, wanted, he put it out there for his disciples to tell them it's not going to be easy. Because one of the things you have to do is you have to deny yourself. You have to deny your 
your desires and to seek God and to serve others. You know, most married couples probably can't tell you the day they fell in love, but they can tell you the day they got married. They can tell you when it happened and where it happened. And I think becoming a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is also like a wedding day. I think it's important that we know when it happened and where it happened. If you're a spiritual explorer, then you're simply a person who is dating. Only in this case, it's God that you're getting to know. And you may grow in your knowledge of Him. You may learn to appreciate God. And you may even say, I love God. But Jesus invites you to make a commitment. It begins when you stop trying to earn your right to be righteous. And to accept the absolute wondrous, gracious offer of Jesus Christ for forgiveness. We come to the altar and we say, I do. We confess that Jesus is the Son of God. We make our vows to Him. We swap wedding bands, if you will. We're baptized and we're, we're joined to Him. And we're joined to His Spirit, whose Spirit joins us. Followers of Jesus are referred to as a bride. Never do we see followers of Jesus being described as the people who like to date Him from time to time. We don't hear a description that says those who want a live-in arrangement with no commitment. Jesus is looking for he longs for a dedicated spouse who is sealed forever as his bride. I'll leave you with these red letters from Revelation. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus wants to make it official. Jesus wants your whole self that you'd be willing to get up and to follow him no matter what it may cost you in the end. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you for allowing us just to be able to see these words of your son Father, we thank you for sending him into our world, and we thank you, Father, that he continues to love us even when we're not very lovable. And Father, we just thank you that you continue to be there with us and by us when others might leave us. But Father, we just pray for our commitment to you. We know of your commitment to us. And I pray for those in this church that they'll get stronger and stronger. This world is, can be so difficult at times. Father, we know that there is, there is a, a spiritual realm out there that's always beating us down. But Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit within us. And I pray for those who might be here today 
and they're seeking you. Father, just help them. Help them to experience your love and your compassion and help them to understand how you want to bless their lives in ways that is completely different than the ways of the world. Father, we just pray that we'll be able to, to be your hands and your feet and, and, and help in whatever ways possible. But Father, we know that all, all the good that comes, it is for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.